This is Cardinal Francis George, and I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Father Barron will challenge us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the One who is love. The Archdiocese of Chicago, through the generosity of Sacred Heart Parish in Winnetka, now presents The Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, my focus today is on the second reading from the Mass. It's an excerpt from Paul's letter to the Philippians, and it contains one of the most beautiful texts in the whole New Testament tradition. The church that Paul's writing to, the church of Philippi, was in Macedon, northern Greece. It's named, of course, for Philip II of Macedon, who was the father of Alexander the Great. Philippi is the first church that Paul founds in Europe. So, of course, Christianity begins in Palestine, moves up through what we call Syria and Lebanon, moves into Asia Minor, into Turkey. Then Paul makes a journey across to the Greek mainland. And the first church he founds is this church at Philippi. The letter he writes is extraordinary. It's very clear that Paul loves this church. He loves the people at Philippi. And he writes to them with a special generosity of spirit, a special affection. Maybe that's why it has this passage of such enormous depth and beauty. Listen now to how this reading begins. Paul says, Brothers and sisters, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any solace in love, any participation in the Spirit, any compassion and mercy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, with the same love, united in heart, thinking one thing. Christians, a basic theme in Paul, and you see it up and down his writings, is this theme of unity. If there's one thing that Paul hates, it's division in the body of Christ. You'll see it especially in his first letter to the Corinthians. Let there be no factions among you, he says. I've heard it said that some people say, I'm with Paul, I'm with Apollos, I'm with Christ. Has Christ been divided, Paul says? Did Apollos die for your sins? There should be no divisions in the body of Christ. And then he complains that when the Corinthians gather for the Eucharist, they divide themselves, rich against poor, group against group, faction against faction. You are eating and drinking your own condemnation, Paul says bluntly to them, if you are divided as a church. So here now to the Philippians, complete my joy by being of the same mind, with the same love, thinking one thing. Is Paul advocating here a sort of monolithic community? I don't think so. He knows all about the play of diversity and difference. Think of his image of the body with the many parts, the many organs, and so on. Paul knows about the legitimacy of, of diversity. But 
diversity is valuable only in the measure that it gathers itself together around one core. That's the same love. That's thinking one thing. What's the community to be thinking? It's to be thinking Christ. Kierkegaard said, a saint is someone whose life is about one thing. Paul is insinuating here that the Christian community, the saintly community, is the one whose life is about one thing. It's focused on Christ Jesus. Now listen, through Christ, it is focused on everybody else. I see Christ first, and through him, I see my relationship to you and to everybody else. That's the mind, that's the heart, that's the vision that has to connect the community. You know, Origen, the great church father, said, Ubi divisio, ibi picatum. Where there is division, there is sin. Period. End of the argument. No more commentary needed. Where there's division, there's sin. Christians, the trouble is we've been plagued by this divisiveness up and down the centuries. From Paul's own time, from the very beginning of the church, but then up through the centuries, 1054, the East-West split, 1517, the Protestant-Catholic split, within our churches even now, division, division, separation. That is the thing that Paul rails against from the very beginning of the church. What's the remedy? Paul tells us, listen, do nothing out of selfishness or out of vain glory. Rather, humbly regard others as more important than yourselves. What if we took that seriously? Humbly regard others as more important than yourselves. What breaks up the Christian community, what leads to divisiveness, what encourage factionalism, is this terrible need to puff oneself up, to make oneself the center of attention. Paul is saying, when you are looking primarily at Christ, then you can see everyone around you as more important than yourself. Look, everyone who comes into the world, comes into the world for God's purposes, to find his or her vocation and destiny in Christ. When we see them that way, then it's relatively easy to think of them as more important than ourselves because they have an infinite value. What if we went through one day with that mind? Everyone I meet, from the highest to the lowest, everyone I meet, from the most important to the least important, well, I think of them as more important than myself because I see them in and through Christ. That's the way to avoid factionalism in the Christian church. Now, who or what is the prototype of this attitude that Paul is talking about? Well, he tells us, Have in you the same attitude that is also in Christ Jesus. This is now the beginning of this famous hymn. Have in you the same mind, that's what Paul's saying, the same attitude, the same vision, as you find in Christ Jesus. This is Christianity in a nutshell. We put on Christ. 
We see with his eyes. We live with his life. We move with his movements and gestures. Remember the very beginning of Mark's gospel? We hear Jesus' inaugural address. He says, repent and believe the good news. But the Greek word that we render as repent, metanoiate, means go beyond the mind you have. Get a new mind in you. That's repentance. And Paul is talking about it here. May that same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. So what is the mind of Christ? What precisely does it mean? He tells us. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped. For my money, one of the most important lines in the whole New Testament. Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not deem equality with God something to be grasped at. Paul is setting up here a wonderful tension. There is somebody else in the biblical tradition who is described as being in the form of God. It's Adam, who's made in the image and likeness of God. With this enormous dignity, enormous spiritual power, he's in God's own image and likeness. What's Adam's problem? He does deem equality with God something to be grasped at. Remember the temptation. Eat of the fruit of this tree, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. That's why God doesn't want you to eat of this tree. He's jealous of you. If you grasp at it, you will be like God. Christians, there's the basic form of sin that all of us experience. Trying to grasp at God, though we are creatures. Trying to be the creator, though we are but creatures. What's Paul insinuating here? There's a new Adam. There is a new Adam, which is Christ. What's at the heart of his mission? Though he was in the form of God, and now in the fullest possible sense, Adam was in the image and likeness of God. Christ is very God. He is the very form of God. But he did not deem equality with God a thing to be grasped at. Look, human hubris, human pride, grasping at God, is countermanded, is overcome, is reversed by God's refusal to cling to godliness. Our pride is broken and healed by God's humility. This is the beautiful paradox or joke reversal at the heart of this hymn in Philippians. Our pride is cured by God's humility. You might say sin is a kind of human foolishness. That though I'm a creature, I think I can be God. It's foolish, ridiculous. What overcome is reversed by God's refusal to cling to godliness. Our pride is is broken and healed by God's humility. This is the beautiful paradox or joke 
reversal at the heart of this hymn in Philippians. Our pride is cured by God's humility. You might say sin is a kind of human foolishness. That though I'm a creature, I think I can be God. It's foolish, ridiculous. What undoes it? God's foolishness. God's folly, letting go of himself in love. It's God's folly that overcomes and overwhelms the human folly of sin. Listen now as Paul goes on. Rather, he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave and coming into human likeness. In every God described in Greek mythology or Roman mythology, in all the gods described by the philosophers, what do you find? You find a grasping at being, power, prominence. The gods demand what's due to them. The gods cling to their godliness and to their prerogatives. Christians, here is the whole poetry of our faith, that the true God is the one who doesn't grasp, but rather who empties himself and become a slave. A lovely word here in Greek, kenosis, kenosis, emptying, emptying out, letting go, becoming nothing. The gods fill themselves up. The true God lets himself go on behalf of the other. This is the heart of our faith. You can glimpse it in the Trinity, where the Father lets go of himself in love for the Son. The Son lets go of himself in love for the Father. The Spirit is nothing but the mutual letting go of the Father and the Son. Our God is a great act of self-emptying love. This comes to fulfillment on the cross. Listen as Paul goes on. Christ became obedient even to the point of death. Yes, even death on a cross. How low did the Son of God go? How far did he empty himself? He went as low as sin had taken us. Into the deepest anxiety, the deepest fear, into death itself. That's how low he went. How far did he empty himself? Empty himself to the point of death in order to save us. Let me close with this image. What's the one thing that Jesus can't do on the cross? Is his hands are nailed to the tree. The one thing he can't do is grasp. Our problem from Adam on has been grasping. We are healed and cured by the humility and self-emptying quality of God, who doesn't grasp, but in love lets himself go. That's why we sing this hymn with Paul, and we rejoice in our salvation. God bless. I hope that you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that, together, we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor, here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George. God bless you. To purchase copies of The Word on Fire, call 847-297-4360. That's 847-297-4360.